Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm not finished yet. It took me a long time to get here. Both parents have, have spoken with each other and... Uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other, and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas, he get such a shit shock next Saturday evening that we'll put him back in their houses for 10 years. So there we have it, lads. Kerry are league champions, and probably the most low key league championship that has ever been won in the history of league championships. Barely a celebration on the final whistle. Now, the result was known pretty much the whole way through the game. Um, the trophy presentation was comical. There wasn't even a, wasn't even a speech. David Clifford put the cup up um, once and then just got down almost embarrassed. Like, I don't know, Keen. Like, I, I know that, you know, it's not the same as other leagues, but they still won the bloody league. It seemed like they were pissed off to win it. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of a, a, bit of a strange one, really, considering the, you know, the, the fanfare when Mayo won the league last year. By comparison, yeah. um, you know, for a bit of context for everybody. But yeah, like it was funny. Clifford just lifted in the air. And he, you're right. He did look. It was almost like he was embarrassed. It was like it was a, you know, a, a preseason tournament, like you know, an O'Byrne Cup or an FBD League or something like that. But um, I suppose maybe that's what it feels a, a little bit like for the players, you know, particularly the top teams because. It's really just about preparing for championship games. Are you know that's probably what the focus for these guys is, um, and yeah, as you say, sure. Look, uh, Kerry had the game won from a long way out, so I'm sure they they knew they were league champions from a long way out. Maybe there wasn't the same excitement as we would have had in previous years, where we had obviously the incredible kind of Dublin Kerry league final and then Mayo obviously last year, you know, cracking game of football too. Yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. And, and maybe the fact, you know, when you even I remembered county finals, I was playing with Port Leach where you have it won pretty early. It never compares to winning a game, you know, a close game at the end. It just doesn't. You're, you've almost done your celebrations in your head in the last 10 minutes of the match before, you know, even because it is, it, Conan, it seemed like like for a McKenna Cup game in January, there would be more of a, a celebration than that. 
Yeah, I've never been in that position where a game is won with what fifteen minutes to go, or <laughs> a championship or a league. But to be honest, though, it's, it's it is funny. Like, remember we talked about David Clifford a couple of weeks ago about how he was talking about the captaincy, and there's there's nothing to it really. And you know, I just send a few WhatsApp messages. We get the WhatsApp group together. I'm starting to starting to like this attitude. Like, you know, like in American sports, especially basketball, they just have like a a player who's by far the best player and he is naturally the leader then no matter what he's saying or doing. It's just everyone everyone wants to follow him and maybe that's just the way David Clifford does it. He's just naturally the leader because he's so far ahead of everybody. Yeah, well, we're a good bit off of David Clifford's speech on the evidence of yesterday. Talking about David Clifford now, Leslie, we know, you know how much I love David Clifford and he's a special, special player. But I think we're getting a bit carried away by him because I'm not sure who was doing the commentary yesterday or on Saturday for air. Like one of his points in the second half, like, I mean, it was a routine. He caught a hand pass, turned around and kind of kicked it over from whatever, 30 yards out on his left foot, on his good side. David Clifford's in a league of his own, uh, Keen, the commentator told us. Yeah, I, I actually... I noticed that myself. I was laughing. I was laughing away at it. I mean, it is just what happens. Like, I mean, nobody judges. Um, well, I, so I don't say nobody, but a lot of people they're not judged on their actual performance on the day. They're judged on their reputation uh, before the game. You know, so if everybody's ready to, I suppose, go mental about the most simple thing that somebody does if they're a top. If you know, if they're a recognised, I suppose, leading light, and then another player could have an absolutely unbelievable game. You know, significantly better than the star yeah. man, but um, but it doesn't maybe get get recognised. But uh, yeah, look, that was funny. It was it was a complete standard day. The Clifford point. I mean, if we're going <laughs> to if we're going to lose the plot for every and every kind of we'll call them tap over Clifford points. I mean, we're going to be we're, we're going to be uh, losing our lives here listening to commentary because when he does do something spectacular, then there's nowhere left for the commentator to go. Well, that's it exactly. It's like a, a routine. Um, Dear McConnelly pass off the outside of his boot. Whoa! Did everybody see this? And like, I mean, people go crazy because players are really good at, at something. Declan Bonner said after the game, just to put the game in context, Conan, um, it was probably a game we could have done without, <laughs> which everybody kind of knows. He says seven days before championship. We have got to be ready for the challenge ahead. We know it's going to be a challenge. It's back to the old days, knockout football. Donegal, you'd have to give them an awful lot of credit for going down and fulfilling the fixture. That's the last thing they would have wanted to have done. Travel the whole length of the country. They did it to keep the league honest. They arrested some players. It's very obvious now to me, very obvious to anybody. You probably didn't need this game to know who Declan Bonner see as his leaders and his, his I can't do without them. Uh, Neil McGee, Ryan McHugh, uh, Michael Murphy, Owen Bon Gallagher and Hugh McFadden. Probably would be the five I would have picked, Colin. Who do you think was the most put out of all those players having to go to Kerry? You know, McFadden had to. McFadden travelled. The rest didn't. Did they or no? No, they didn't travel. Like so, that's a, if you're Kieran Thompson, you're like what? No, I should be one of your, <laughs> your main men. Not going down here for this game that you said we can do without. <laughs> yeah, well, in, fair, in fairness to Kieran Thompson, if he if he was uh, if he was sour about playing, he play, he he maybe played with a bit of thickness and probably played himself into a bit of good form because he was really good yesterday. Or, um, yeah. He was. It was. He was definitely one that stood out. That he seemed to be trying in some way, which wouldn't be hard to stand out in the Donegal team. And and that's it though. Like you say, fair play to Donegal. Like you're right because they're they're playing. It's two of the top five teams are playing a knockout match now next week. So of all the teams that are pulling out, and I know there's all different concerns. Like Donegal would have been not within their rights, but you would have understood it a bit more. Like the fact that they're one week out from playing a championship match of their own. Yeah, exactly. I suppose they would have been handing the league definitely to Kerry and there would have been plenty of criticism. But still, they had the most commitment to make. Obviously, that game, and we predicted this last Thursday, Kerry were going to win the league and in turn making the TG Cahir 
advertised game, Dublin versus Galway, a complete dead rubber. Now, you've got from two half past three on Saturday to say, here, hang on a second, can we juggle things around? There's a much more important game in Castlebar. It's Tyrone Mayo. It's two huge teams in the country. One of them's going to Division Two. There's going to be a bit of bite to this. Neither team is going to want to go down. Let's put that on the television at two instead of pretty much the challenge game. Um between Dublin and and Galway. They didn't do that. Very, very disappointing um, trying to watch that Dublin-Galway uh, game, kind of seeing the, the, the score updates and the incredible scores that were going on in Castlebar. As it turns out, Mayo lost. They went down fighting keen. First time in 20, 23 years um, they've gone down to Division 2. They're the defending champions, as you've mentioned, which is... is I'd say, I, I, I don't know, if I wouldn't say it's happened too often that defending champions get relegated the following year. No, it's probably it's probably uh, probably hasn't happened too often. I'd say, um, and look at they'll be they'll be very disappointed, obviously, to have lost their Division One status, particularly after such a, a long period of of being in Division One. I mean, Tyrone, in fairness to them, have been somewhat of a yo-yo team over the last uh, decade. They've been down in Division Two on a, on a few occasions. Um, yeah, and Donegal too. Yeah, and Donegal as well. And and both of those teams, I suppose, are, would be delighted to have sort of. You know, cemented their place again up in Division One because I suppose it is it is important um, for developing players and just exposing new guys to to the level that's required if you're if you want to compete. Um, but look, it's probably not the worst thing in the world either for Mayo for for a lot of their players. Um, it's certainly not. I don't think it's going to set Mayo back a number of seasons. Whereas maybe there was other teams that you would think um, it might set them back a bit further. Yeah, it's a funny one, actually. You have Galway securing their Division 1 status. They're finished third in the league. You have Mayo going down, and you would say, um, Conan, Mayo are heading into the Connacht Championship in better form than Galway. Yeah, and they're, and they're going in, like, even though they lost that game against Tyrone, like, they're going in with the excitement that, that they showed in the last 10 minutes of it. Like, they still have that, that cotton edge about them. And like, I think I was making the point before, Donegal have gone up and down from Division 2 to Division 1, and it's never affected their championship. Like, Donegal and Mayo are ahead of, say, Roscommon and Cavan, where it's probably more important to be playing Division 1 football all the time. I think they're a level above that. So a team like Mayo going down the same way with Donegal, I don't think it'll change too much. Yeah, well, I have to say it's going to be hard. You, you might say, and I do agree with the points that you both made, but Division 2 is a bloodbath next year. Kildare are in it, Cork are in it, Mayo are in it, Meath are in it, Down are in it, Leash are in it. Like, what the two teams that went down and the two teams that come up are pretty strong teams. So, Division, like, from a me point of view, from Leash, oh, Jesus, if we survive the same as this year, I'd be more than delighted next year by the looks of Division 2. Yeah, Division Two is it's savage, really. Again, I mean, it always it, it generally is the most competitive of the divisions in terms of the, the gap between the top teams and the bottom teams is generally very close, and you know, very often you have relegation and promotion at stake for numerous teams right into the last couple of rounds. So, look, next year is going to be absolutely no different. It's not going to be there'll be no exceptions next year, and it will be interesting to see if any of the teams can, you know be one of the teams that stands out and wins a number of their games. I suppose Mayo would be looking to be that kind of, I suppose, the big fish in that division and try and beat everybody. But, I mean, look, you wouldn't you wouldn't put them as, as strong favourites. I know it's a long way away, but maybe it's shorter it's shorter uh, duration until we get into the league maybe next year than in previous years. So, um, yeah, very interesting league again. And hopefully there'll be a number of those games televised um, next season in Division 2 because I think they'll be very interesting. 
Yeah, we won't get sucked into a league uh, preview at the moment. We've enough on our plate here. We have to review a league and preview a championship. Conan, here's a question for you. Conor McKenna's passed to Derek Hanavan or Niall Morgan's passed to Peter Hart. Discuss which one Which one was more impressive. That's a very good question. I'm going to say Niall Morgan's um, because just the position of the pitch, everybody was marked up. <laughs> the keepers come out to about 45 or just beyond and he's picked them out over the top. Like, the McKenna pass and the execution was brilliant, but I'd say he could do that nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten. The Morgan pass was just spotting someone else that nobody could see. I didn't see that on. like the, It was so far down the pitch, and it set up a chance out of nothing. Yeah, Conor McKenna's looked better. There's no doubt about that. Niall Morgan's was harder. There's an element to say Niall Morgan was just sending it down between the two of them, and it worked out well, Keen. Yeah, well, I think there's a, there was, a, I suppose, an aesthetic quality um, to McKenna's because we had a good counter yeah. position on that one. You know, you could you could see it a bit better. But certainly Morgan's was an absolute, I mean, it's a bomb of a pass considering the range that he's hit it from. Um, I think, yeah, I'd have to go with McKenna's. I think it was just drilled that little bit lower. I, I like those kind of low fizz passes. I think there's just a, they're just a little bit easier easier on the eye. Yeah, and I suppose Dara finished it off with a beautifully taken goal, whereas Niall Morgan's only resulted in a pint. So are we going to hold that against him? We probably shouldn't. I'm, I'm, uh, it's no, hard we to will, understand. We, we definitely will. We <laughs> it if, if it was I a fisted point, we, we wouldn't even give the pass any credit. <laughs> I actually think I can't decide which one was better because you're talking about a beautiful Conor McKenna one or an incredibly difficult one by Niall Morgan that didn't get the same good camera angle. I think he could do a full show and have about five or six different guests come on to discuss the difference between these two passes or which ones uh, we we preferred. James McCarthy was taken off for Dublin, lads. I mean, like, I mean it, that doesn't usually happen. Now, he was on a yellow card, and we'll get to that in a second. And then Paul Conroy kind of theatrically almost, you know, tried to get him a second one. And I'd say Desi was in the position where he was just like, look, I'm not going to take any chances with any player. James McCarthy is in the same boat as everybody else. Number one, Conan, I suppose, unusual to see him taken off. Number two, his first yellow was where he slid down on the ground. I didn't think there was anything in it. There was no stud showing. He was trying to grab his foot around the ball to gather it back in. Um, Porrick Joyce um, thought it was a terrible tackle. He said, I thought it was a terrible tackle sliding in on the ball with your feet out like that. He could have broken his leg in that tackle. That's Ian Burke he's talking about, who ended up on crutches. I don't know. I, I thought it was a harsh yellow watching it in real time. Yeah, like I, I can see where, where Porrick Joyce is coming from. Like I can definitely see if you're from Galway why you'd be so annoyed. Like, you know, when you see a stud up and somebody sliding, yeah, you sort of always think it's unnecessary. But the only thing I would say for James McCarthy there, I think. He's sliding to get the ball. Like it's it's tough conditions. He's, he's going down to get it, and he, his body weight seems to fall back, and that's where the stud comes up. I don't think he's sliding in trying to stop anybody coming in on top of him. No, showing the studs like it's different. Yeah, I disagree on that one, lads. I think that he could have easily just gone down and picked it up in a normal capacity, but he saw bodies coming against him, and to protect himself, he slid past the ball and put his feet, you know, put his feet past the ball in a sliding manner and and, and caught Burke. Now Burke probably could have got out of the way or could have avoided he was just unfortunate I think that he that he got caught with it but definitely James McCarthy to my mind could have just ran just normal like more upright and just picked up the ball normally but I suppose to be fair to him and it does happen a lot like if you're in that position James McCarthy he kind of lost control of the ball and it was moving away from him so he was kind of lunging to get there 
knowing that there was bodies coming against him. And I suppose in a lot of these uh, cases uh, in sort of difficult conditions, like he was probably thinking, well, if somebody comes, they could smash him coming the opposite way. So he, he wasn't probably going to bend, you know, bend his back and go over the ball in the normal way, you know, for, probably from a self-preservation perspective that somebody would come in and, and give him a kind of a heavy contact. So I think, you know, whether he, I don't think he intentionally, injured Ian Burke or anything like that but it was it was quite dangerous the way his you know the way his foot was raised off the floor like if that was in soccer like his his you know he had the stud showing and he was his foot his foot was like off the ground like it caught Ian Burke kind of above the ankle so I mean it was it was an unfortunate injury to happen to Ian Burke and I suppose just I wouldn't I wouldn't say anything too negative about James McCarthy. It was just a little bit unnecessary the way he did it, but you can kind of you can rationalise it from his perspective because he was he was trying to protect himself and going for a loose ball. Yeah, you often see lads sliding in like that in winter conditions, you know, when it's wet. I thought James McCarthy just had eyes for the ball. That's, look, you, 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 look, I, I probably wouldn't argue with the yellow, but I don't think there was any intent there to, to injure anybody. I think that he was making a genuine attempt to go to go for the ball. Um, we'll move on from that, lads, because Armagh have finally gone up to Division 1 for the first time in 2012. Now... Would you say they've gone up impressively, Conan? Like, I mean, you see some teams going up and coming straight back down after being more impressive than Armagh have been in Division 2. Like, they've won four, drew one and lost two. It's not kind of Division 2 form that's going to suggest I'm staying in Division 1 here. <laughs> no, but I suppose we're always banging on about how tough Division 2 is. So any any result of getting into the top two, I think, is impressive. And I suppose like their only end goal was to was to get into Division 1, play Division 1 football so they can help like make that step. We keep talking about them being outside the top eight. Well, now they're in the top eight in the league, and like so I don't think they'll care about how they got there. They they did have to go and beat Clare away from home in the end, and, and they did that, you know. So when it was put up to them, when they had the chance against Rock Common, and they were so bad, they were able to turn around, go away from home, and, and get the result. Yeah, I think uh, Kieran McGinney said afterwards, Keen, it's like everything else in life. Be careful what you ask for, because we're going to be up against the big boys from now on. And I definitely think further progression, our man need to be up there. And I think that they'll get a lot of learnings from up there. Now, I do think they'll come straight back down a little bit like Kildare a couple of years ago. I thought maybe they were, you know, Kildare could learn an awful lot from it. Now, Kildare have come back down and probably not been hugely impressive. The test for our is to stay in the division probably for a year. Like they do have the firepower to do it. Whether they have the team in general to do it is up for debate. Yeah, no, I saw I saw that with McGinney and look in fairness, it's an interesting point. I mean, it's it's ruthless enough up in Division One and, and mistakes are punished, but it definitely for the development of the group, if they can keep it's more about keeping a consistent squad. What happens to these teams if they go up and they have a year up in Division One and then maybe they're relegated and they lose some players, you know, through different for a variety of different reasons. But it 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 definitely that's where the problem really lies for these teams and trying to develop you know you, you do have to keep a, some level of consistency in your squad um so that you have the benefit of playing at the higher level and you still have the experience of playing in division two and the scrapping and you know going to going to the wire in a lot of games and then what you're trying to do is i suppose gradually you know develop one or two kind of or three or four players that you know onto your panel each year but you know this thing of where they have massive changes on a squad where there's 10 or 12 or 15 guys changed year to year that's, and that's probably what affected maybe Cavan more so than a lot of the other teams where they went up and they've just seemed to have lost a load of players massive disruption in their in terms of their playing personnel and you know you can see that then in performances on the field that they're just not at the same level that they you know that they were aspiring to get to 
Yeah, Kevin is a weird one. Like, I mean, we were talking last Thursday that Mickey Graham was very honest, Conan, about not he said he didn't want to go up to Division One because they've got a very young team and they're trying out players and you have a situation where it's so unforgiving in Division One. Now they find themselves in Division Three, and I'm not gonna criticize Mickey Graham for being honest, and that seems like fairly obvious analysis to me. But they'll be fairly kicking the arse now to go down to Division Three, you know, Kevin who who had a terrible start to the league, recovered brilliantly, and then, you know, didn't get regained that form after the break at all. Like, I mean, if they can't beat Roscommon at home, who are down eight players, who were mm-hmm. playing Cottle Craig at number six, you know, in completely experimental form, they probably deserve to go down at that stage. Yeah, you're using three games in a row, you're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be in trouble. And I know, I know what you mean. Like, it's funny just to, considering that they were talking about maybe going up or, like, you know, having the choice of, of not going up, but... Now suddenly that like not only they're in Division Three, obviously everything that comes with that, which like they're in the Ulster Championship, if they don't get to the Ulster final, now they're in a, a Talton Cup. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and you know what? The Talton Cup is ruined now because we know who's going to win it next year, Kevin. <laughs> 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 yeah, but like as, as Kieran McGinney says, be careful what you wish for, you know, Kevin are down division three, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's a big blow. Yeah, no, definitely. What did you make of Carl Craig at number six, um, Keen? I, I quite like it. I'm, I'm thinking up, is there a role like a Kieran McGinney back in the noughties that you could put Carl Craig in as a number six, but free him up as a playmaker there around that p- part of the part of the field? Yeah, well, look, he's a, he's a brilliant player. And I yeah. suppose with, with the way teams defend anyway in so much numbers and so much depth, I mean, it's it's probably quite rare that he's going to be exposed in a, in a one-on-one with his man. And, it, look, and in any event, he's he's a, he's a kind of a, he's a big, strong, athletic guy anyway. So in terms of a one-on-one, you know, tackling position, he's probably kind of going to be OK. But I suppose centre-half back is... Uh, is is more than that. It's certainly a more nuanced position, and there's a huge amount of decision making. So, look, he's he's an experienced player, and he's he's a very good all rounder. So, it could be a role for an intelligent player like him. You know, should be well able to play centre half back and play it really well once he has a couple of games under his belt, and if he has that sort of structure defensively around him, which will allow him, as you say, a bit of freedom to to drive forward and to maybe be that kind of guy who who breaks from the half back and into the half you know into the middle sector of the field and he's able to deliver the kick passes into the forwards and sometimes it's nice to have a guy who's used to playing in the full forward line delivering that ball in because he he has a bit there's maybe a little bit more appreciation on the on the pass yeah, no, there definitely is. So Leash had a great escape, lads. This is incredible stuff um, from Leash. Let Mike Quirk explain uh, the details. He said, we were down to 14 men. We had lost our captain. We were away from home. We were playing against the wind. We are playing against a team that looked comfortable minding the ball over and back all day. What did they do? They ended up scoring three late goals to avoid relegation. They had only scored three points with the wind in the first half. Now, in fairness, that might be more down to how Fermanagh set up, you know, defending against the wind rather than, you know, bad play by Leash. They scored 3-9 against it. So, like Mike Quirk said, they were down to 14 men. Kieran Lillis, who's their captain, got sent off with five minutes to go. With three minutes of normal time to go, they were five points down. And they ended up, they ended up uh, completely pulling it out of the fire and and staying up so it was an incredible escape job it's funny Leash were completely gone against Roscommon away in the first league game they got two goals in injury times remember that Conan we were talking about it so that's three points out of seven Leash got from completely impossible the game is lost position so I don't know as a Leash man I'm taking huge positives from that you could see Mike Quirk on the Sunday game last night he couldn't kind of hide the smile on his face shows great character and this Leash team doesn't give up obviously Character, that's it. Like, de- definitely, you should be um sort of boastful about it and looking forward to like th- this Mike Quirk least team because 
when, when I saw that result, when I saw the three goals laid on, I was like, geez, they've done this before. And I went back and looked. Yeah, you're right. The, the Ross Common match. And when you're scrapping to stay up in a really tight division, when there's, what, three points between promotion and, and relegation, every single point counts and every minute counts. And Unleash really made every minute count. It's, it's, it really does bode well that everybody's playing so hard for so long under this manager. Yeah, so we're looking forward to the championship, Unleash, um, definitely. Uh, division 3... So we were given out last uh, Monday about the Longford walkover. Maybe it was Thursday. So as it turns out, Longford should have kept the competition honest because Loud beat Down. Now Down had half a team out, um, Keane. But, you know, Down wouldn't have put out a half a team if Longford had have played Cork. It would have at least kept uh, Down honest. It would have kept Loud honest. It would have kept Cork honest. And Derry beat Offaly, which we would have uh, predicted. So had Longford beat a Cork team that could have been in experimental mode at home, we could have had that three-way playoff, as it turns out. Now, obviously, Dan would have sent a, a more uh, a better team to Loud, but they lost at home to Loud last year. Who knows what would have happened? The point of the, this matter is that Longford, you know, did not uphold the integrity of the league and allowed a situation you know, a, a top of the table scenario just fizzle out. Yeah, look, I'm sure it's it's very disappointing for the teams affected. That's all you can really say about it. I mean, like I'm sure there's a, a huge level of frustration there for for teams that, you know, you can talk about the context in the short term of, of teams, you know, getting back together and training and preparing for these games and trying to prepare for championship. But I mean the work for the league, you know, started you know, 12 months ago, you know, and, and teams were preparing for the league and, and putting in, you know, great honesty of effort in the first few league games and, and everything like that. And yeah, look, it is. It's it's very, very disappointing to see that uh, basically an unfulfilled fixture can have can have a, you know, that had an impact in the in in other team seasons. You know, that's 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 always regrettable for the teams involved. That's really all you can say about it. I'm sure yeah. there's a huge and look, I repeat, I'm sure there's massive frustration in those counties that are affected. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're from a county that's directly affected, Conan. How pissed off are you? And should Longford face a sanction for not at, at club level if you don't uphold a fixture? There are sanctions for that. Yeah, yeah, like I think that should happen to any team who doesn't fulfil a uh, county or a club. I wonder it's just it's an exceptional year, so they're they're letting teams away with it. But it does like it, it does ruin the integrity of it. And when you look at it in hindsight now, like now as a Derryman, I'm not too pissed off because I'm sort of where Rory Gallagher was at two weeks ago. He was asked about promotion, and he said, "Ah, look, to be honest, that's sort of that's not going to happen." And I know the way it's played out, it looks like it could have, but. Derry got nine points, down got nine points, and I just look back. I'm more pissed off at Derry drawing at home with Leitrim in the first game of the season, you know. And if you, yeah. if you don't draw that, then you're promoted. And like Armagh got nine points, and we're talking about them not having an impressive Division Two, nine points in Division Three. Like you'd want Derry to be to be doing better than that. And if they had just beaten Leitrim, they would be up now. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's fair enough. Yeah, you look back across the whole league rather than at the end. But the the point remains. I'm I'm surprised they're not getting sanctioned though, Keenan, that there's no talk about it. Uh, well, I, I look at I don't know. Maybe that's dealt with um, in, the, in the boardrooms or whatever. But I'm sure there's I'm sure there's some sort of a fine or whatever that that happens. I, I think that's fairly sure that at club level, if you don't fulfil a fixture, you're either you're either thrown out of the competition or you or there's or there's a fine placed on them or whatever. So look, I'm sure there's some sanction. Um, although I'm sure with the with the context of uh, wider society at the minute, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that COVID nineteen will be will be. Used as an excuse, and they'll they'll wrangle their way out of it. I'm sure. 
Yeah, maybe they will. So the Wicklow went up, lads. Nice to see that it actually meant something to a team winning yesterday. The only team, so Armagh went up, and just from the highlights, you know, it goes to one or two of their players, and ah, look again, gone up. Now you hear a bit of a shout. Um, then Kerry win the league, you know, nothing, not a dicky bird really. You know, Cork win Division Three, they didn't even play. Wicklow get promoted from Division Four, not even having won the won the league because Limerick won that. And you see two players lying down on the ground with their head in their head in their hands. You see two or three other players with their hands up in the air. The big cheer, Jesus! Finally, it meant something to someone key in the league this year. Yeah, I know. it's it's laughable in some in some respects, but like fair play to Wicklow. Like, I mean, it's it's brilliant to see it. Like, I mean, what a what a way to to do it as well against Wexford, who they're going to be playing um, in the in the Leinster Championship next week. Yeah, next week next week. So it's 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 great excitement for them. I mean, and it was a it was a fair dogfight of a game. Like when you see the highlights of it, and it's uh, it's the type of game that you'd be delighted to win. And certainly when there was something at stake for both teams going into the game, so. I mean, fair play to them to go down there and 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 into the, into the into the dragons den and and win is is, you know, they deserve huge credit for doing it. Yeah, and they're going to the dragons den. That game in the Leinster Championship is in Wexford Park as well. And like Conan, like let's be honest, they're playing Wexford next week in the Championship. But unlike Donegal, this win is probably more important to Wicklow than a, a knockout Leinster Championship. That let's be honest, even if they don't lose to Wexford next week, they play Mead the week after, and they'll probably be out. Now they have something tangible from their season. Division three, a new manager who looks like he's doing an absolutely brilliant job there. Has a great CV already. Won an under twenty one All Ireland with Kildare in two thousand and nineteen. Won the county final with Sarsfields, and that's shocking. Moorefield, I think it was after replay in the final, and now has been promoted by Wicklow. So, like, I mean, I thought they were great scenes. I'm not sure if there was a memo sent to every team. Look, if you win or get promoted, don't celebrate. We don't want the public going mad because Limerick beat Clare in the bloody hurling, and you, you wouldn't, you would think it's just the end of a, a challenge game. But Wicklow did not get the memo, Colin. <laughs> and what an outrage! <laughs> I didn't like those scenes, to be honest, really. <laughs> <laughs> there was people dancing on the streets of Ockram after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I. I'd say that was definitely on players' minds, you know, to be honest, with seeing all the, the coverage that, the, that those celebrations were getting. But it, it is great. Look, Wicklow with a new manager, like, what's going to happen at the start of that year? Is he going to come in and sit down and set out targets? And their target would have been, let's get promoted to Division 3. I don't know if they would have even talked about a championship. That would have been the target. And, yeah, they've done it. Like you say, it's tangible. They've, they've achieved their goal. They did it impressively. They they won their last three games, hammered Antrim. So they are, they're bouncing in the championship now. They're all in great form, but having just smash their objective as well. It's, it's, it's great stuff for them. Yeah, it's great stuff. And congratulations on the celebrations um, on the field, that is, uh, to Wicklow. Right, we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the Division 1 games. Is the little dink fist pass from a crowded area into that day we're at home where Bernard I've talked to Bernard about Bernard's very patient but this little dink ball you know the one in a crowded area where it's a fist pass the weight is taken over hits the ground and it bounces into a fella's chest and there's consternation then in around the D and in around that area watch for this in the semis in the final do you know the one I'm talking about that little fisted ball that's just bound in a, in a crowded area but it gets to the, the yeah, body you, you have said it three times it's in around area but you're looking at me you're looking <laughs> well, at me a crowded area is it? you're <laughs> looking at me with such a confused a confused head in you it's like I was talking about you trying to get a point in coppers or something there in a crowded area yeah watch for it 
All right, lads, we'll start here with Tyrone 314, Mayo 119. And I want pretty much to talk about um, Tyrone. We talked a lot about Mayo last week and um, Mayo definitely went down with their boots on and all these kind of things. But Mickey Hart said after the game, we deserved the two points today. We made great use of the breeze in the first half and that left us in a comfortable position. But knowing the strength of the breeze, we knew it was going to be a different story in the second half. And just when you see Mickey Hart saying that, we, the, we, we, we made great use of the breeze in the first half. And you just contrast this led to the other two games Galway's use of the breeze and Donegal's use of the breeze and it's like what are these teams doing what better advantage is a gale force wind in your back and the idea you wouldn't leave three forwards in there to give yourselves a better opportunity of getting a long quick ball into them before the other team can get back it's just bizarre I think I'm giving Tyrone credit Keen, for something that's so blatantly obvious that I want to pull my hair out at the teams that don't do it yeah, I know. I can understand that. All right. Um, <laughs> I think also, but look, in reality, everybody goes out if they have a strong wind at their back thinking, yeah, look, we want to we want to trouble the scoreboard here heavily and get a bit of a lead. But I mean, you're only in a game, you can only do what the opposition allows you to do at times as well. And if you just for comparison purposes, if you look at uh, a lot of the, the play in the Mayo game, you know, Mayo, Mayo left didn't really defend in great degree of numbers by comparison to what, say, Kerry would have done against Donegal when they were playing against the Breeze in the first half. And yeah. you know, Dublin, Dublin, the way they played against the Breeze was they just, you know, tried to play short kickouts and retain possession. Now, look, you can criticize Galway for not pushing up, but, you know, Mayo probably allowed Tyrone to do that, but fair play to Tyrone. They still stuck to their guns. They left their men up the field and they tried to get the ball into them. So, like, even at stages where you know, the, the, the kick pass was on. They, they weren't afraid to do it. I think that we've seen Tyrone an awful lot of times and they kind of play within themselves and they play, I'd say they play with a little bit of fear or conservatism. And it's at times when you when you see them playing a little bit more expansively or not even necessarily overly expansively, but just with a little bit more ambition when they have possession, like to actually try to play the kick pass in rather than this lateral hand pass you're continually trying to run the ball. When you see them kicking the ball, and when you see when you see it working for them, and you can see how dangerous they can be up front with the, with the talented players that they do have up there, I mean, yeah. And I've said, I've said, it, yeah. Why don't they do it more often? We've been here before with with uh, Tyrone Conan. We've I've I've made the point that it's in Tyrone's DNA to be in your face, to be chasing you down, to be you know to be to do a high press suits their players because that's what they are. Like I mean, Tyrone have great heart. And like, I mean, they'll be able to stand up and be a match for anybody and why they don't do it. And again, they did it yesterday and made use of the wind. We've made the point before how difficult it is to get out of your own half when you're being pressed against a gale force wind. Tyrone did it. Galway, Galway did not do it to Dublin and Donegal did not do it to Kerry. Like, it's just unforgivable. It's bizarre now. Okay, they're not championship matches, so you can't read into it. But any manager that puts a team out on the field with a gale force wind, and number one doesn't leave enough forwards down there to give you the option to get it into the Mary, and number two, when the opposition have a kick out, that you don't make it almost impossible for these lads to get out of their own half. That's criminal. Yeah, it's easy to forget as well because of what's happened in the last 10 years that it's also in Tyrone's DNA to to kick the ball and play with swagger. Like, that, that's what Tyrone do. Like, they, they play beautiful football. Like, that, that's what Tyrone people do. And, like, which uh, it pains me to admit it. But, like, they are the only team, I think, because of the standards that they've reached, where one week I, I could just be so bored thinking about their prospects. And you were thinking, ah, that's not it. Like, I was actually thinking last week, 
just in terms of the overall championship, I hope Tyrone don't beat Donegal in the championship because their team was boring me, just the way they were playing. And like, just it doesn't excite you. But then they come around against Mayo. And as you say, to use that win, they, they added 10, 15 meters on the other kick and straights to play well. And then suddenly it's like, oh shit, actually, this team is really good. Look at all these players. Look at all the individuals as well as the, the team ethic that they have there. So it, it's so weird how from one week to the other, Tyrone can just be Jekyll and Hyde. And now this week coming into the championship, I'm thinking they actually could make an assault on this whole thing if they, if they keep it up. Yeah, and obviously Conor McKenna is the is the you know their their special talent, and we'll get to him in performance of the weekend. He was unbelievable. But like, I mean, was Clark at fault for both of his goals, Keen? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I'd say he was. He, he he didn't cover himself in glory with the first one. It didn't look like it was a particularly no, fierce wasn't hard shot. Hit. No, it didn't, yeah, unless, unless what, I, what I was thinking of that Keen is that unless McKenna, we didn't get a good angle of it or a close up because of the camera work. I'd say only one camera was sent down there. Unless McKenna, we give him credit for showing him the eyes one way and wrong footing him because it didn't look to be any real power on it, and Clark got a hand to it. Yeah, no, and in fairness, maybe it was just that he, he maybe slightly when he stepped inside, he maybe changed the angle of the of the shot, which maybe maybe Clark's footwork maybe was just slightly off or whatever. Maybe look, I'm trying to make excuses for him here. It just uh, you know when you see it first time, he he did kind of get a hand on it. So look, it didn't look like it was powerfully struck, and he struck it from maybe at the 21. So it's not one I would have expected to go in. And then the second one. Um, you know, it's quite a tight angle and he just kind of drills it through him. Look, sometimes they hit the keeper in the knees and they bounce wide. I mean, it's it's one of them. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. be totally critical of Clark, but the point is we've probably seen him save a lot of those shots before. And uh, in fairness, it was well struck. And um, look, I, I'll always give credit to the forward. I mean, he, he took it on. Um, we see too often players playing with it. You know, they get into those positions and they take the... They take the kind of soft option and uh, and don't go for the jugular. So look, fair play to him. He 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 took the he took the opportunity, went for it, and you know fully deserved what he got out of it, which was the two goals. Yeah, from from a Mayo from a Mayo point of view, like he was beaten at the near post there and that, and bizarrely it was Clark had kicked this kick out straight to him, and and McKenna had time to go down on it, slip on the ground, get up. Not, kind of half slowly and still not be tackled before he shot he shot um shot the ball so like mayo aren't without criticism here conan like we we make the point that if you're with the wind pressing aggressively aggressively is a no-brainer because you have a 16th man you have a gale force wind like pressing man on man all over the field when you're playing against a gale force wind is a bit stupid as well like i mean we know mayo's mayo's tactics are very offensive they don't really believe in sweepers. But you look at it, if they had a sweeper in front of their full back line, um, Ushin Gallen wouldn't have had to be in like three yards ahead of, of Derek Hanavan. And that Conor McKenna pass wouldn't have gone over his head. He would have been marking goal side of Derek Hanavan. And that would have been due to a man covering that space in front, right? So if you're against a gale force wind, it probably, only for that half, is to stick a man in front of the, of the full forward line. <laughs> Like, yeah, you're you're advocating defensive football here now, are you? Well, I'm advocating a sw- one man covering the full forward line because we're saying, look, we're against 16 men here with the wind. I'm advocating it for the first half, but absolutely not in the second half. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's a, if it's a man coming back is the the key to all this, but it definitely is a bit more sensor. Like I know we always joke about, oh, the wind doesn't win anybody to match, but you know the wind is a big factor when it's a gale force wind. It makes the it makes the scoring zone so much bigger, so much wider. And 
yeah, you saw like the way Derek Canavan was doing it, the way Peter Hart did it for Niall Morgan's pass. I think Frank Burns did a great pass to Conor McKenna. All the Tyrone forwards were peeling in behind because they knew the ball would have the, yeah. the right depth in it. And yeah, like, like defensively, anyway, yeah, they need to be goal side. That, that's one thing. And yeah, yeah probably. I was- I was going to jump in there, Conan. Like, is it not just bad defending as opposed to anything else? Like, across all the games this weekend, how many times did we see forwards just run in behind the defender and get clean through on goal? I mean, it happened in the Kerry match a few times. Um, Conor McManus got a goal against Mead by doing something similar. And, I mean, Canavan is in behind his man. And, you know, there's a gale force win behind the kick. I mean, it's not, you know, it looks like a beautiful pass, but, I mean... There's so many, there's so much range for that pass to go to, and the defender is in no man's land. I mean, surely the surely the, the defender has to be, you know, playing the conditions. Like if you're if you're playing, yeah. you know, with with a gale force wind against you, you have to defend on the goal side at all times. And at worst case, you know, you, you concede the point rather than let it forward in behind you because the ball can't travel that far. Whereas if you have, if you have the wind at your back as a defender, and you know the ball is going to hang up, so you you can then play from in front because you know the ball is not going to beat you in behind. Yeah, but I, I would actually say, keen on to that one, that the game has become so risk averse that players have been standing a few yards out in front because they know in general that's a deterrent to the kick pass. Now, you have players like Conor McKenna who, who are just a joy to watch and who aren't even entertaining that kind of nonsense, who have no problem taking risks. And then you'll catch these lads out. That's probably on in most games. Now, I know the wind helped, but I do, like, if I was over a team, I would be advising most of my full back line to stand out in front because these lads out the field are scared to kick it to begin with. And if they don't see an easy target, they won't do it. You know, I do take your point on the wind. I, I just think that if even taking the wind out of it, that long ball over the top is on in most games that you watch, Keen, but players won't give it. Yeah, no, and that is a fair point that the, the ball carriers in a lot of these games, you see them, they actually rarely get their head up. I mean, it's so many teams are playing such a, a kind of a, a running game and it's all based around athleticism. And look, that has its place too. But you, you, very often you see, I mean, like if you look at the top players, like, and we'll use Clifford as the example. I mean, we were speaking last week about how, um, you know, take your four steps before you take a play. Clifford is unbelievable. Clifford hardly has the ball in his hand and he's taking a hop and he's taking a solo, he's taking another play. But all the time he's getting his head up. So he, he lifts his head to see what's on. He, he takes a quick play gets his head up again, see, tries to see what's on, because he's looking for that killer pass every time. He's not looking to, to to run the ball necessarily. He's looking to see, well, is there danger inside? Like like the the, the Kieran McDonald thing of Scan Long. So he's, he's looking to see what's on in the full forward line first. And when he was able to hold on to possession and wait for the move from Brosnan, you, you know, they, they were doing that. Kerry were just good at that. They, they get their heads up and they play that pass when it's on. And that's what makes it, that's what sets them apart in the in the last few games that we've seen you know I know it's a quite a small sample size the last couple of weeks but you compare that to other teams you're totally right they don't get their head up so you you can just stand as a defender there and you know the ball is not going to be kicked so I mean yeah. there's no risk to you there's no risk no yeah we'll move on to Kerry here lads because um like I mean this is starting to wind me up at this stage so Kieran Whelan did some analysis last night and it's the same thing on the Kerry defense and yes I did see you know, Brosnan or Clifford dropping back towards the 45 or, you know, whatever. Now, again, in the camera shot, you can't see that. Have they left their men in the full back line spare? I very much doubt it. You know, it's very easy to see these players dropping back. Maybe they're dropping back goal side on the likes of Paddy McGrath, the likes of the full back line that just take off 
at, at any given second and they're making sure I'm not going to get caught on the hop here because this is the thing I can't understand. I just cannot comprehend if Kerry are going to be coming with a new defensive game plan that revolves around bringing David Clifford and Tony Brosnan and these lads out into midfield. So when they do turn it over, there's nobody to kick it into. It just doesn't make sense. And I'm getting a little bit tired about this lazy analysis of Kerry's defence. Kerry's defence, Kerry's defence. Last year in the All-Ireland final, Kerry conceded 116 to Dublin. They scored 116 the first day. They conceded 118 to Dublin the second day. The year before, Tyrone, the defensive game plan, conceded 217 to Dublin in the All-Ireland final. The year before, Mayo, who are widely acknowledged as having a really good defence, conceded 117 to Dublin in the All-Ireland final and lost by a pint. Like, uh, where's this analysis coming from? Kerry's defence isn't that bad. They have to balance being able to close a team down at some point, but with able to keep their good players at the other end of the field to destroy teams. So is it better for Kerry Cannon to keep Dublin down to 113, but David, but David Clifford and these lads are back, you know what I mean, back in their defence? I, I don't like this analysis. Yes, against Cork in the Munster final last year, they were wide open for goals. But I'd look at the evidence of two All-Ireland finals to say Kerry got a good balance between their defending and their attacking in the All-Ireland final against Dublin. And I wouldn't be moving that Cork-Munster final analysis over the All-Ireland final two games against the best team we've ever seen and, and, and plugging it into today. No, I wouldn't. I think I think it's I think it's very lazy, and I don't think Peter Keane would even dream about trying to keep Dublin to one thirteen in an All Ireland final because he, he knows they won't do it, and he knows they won't win the game or score enough to to win the game. And like he'll look at what they did last year and think, right, we were very close to doing it. We'll we'll improve on that. I I actually just think that they were looking at Donegal and thinking, right, let's just let's try out someone here now for this team. And uh, rather than dragging everybody back, it seemed to me that they were tra- they were dragging everybody out to their the opposition 45, so they made the pitch a bit smaller. But I think maybe Clifford and Brosnan maybe went too far back. I think they wanted to slow Donegal down. They, they were trying to stop them getting those looping runs off the sideline. And I thought, I thought they were almost shepherding them into the centre where Kerry had a few more bodies anyway. So I think they were just trying something because they might end up playing Donegal further down the line. Yeah. I think it was just a, a good manager trying out a new system against a, a team that he knows he might have to play. What's your take on this, King? Because this is two weeks in a row now we've been shown on the Sunday game of Kerry's new defensive system. Yeah, well, you know, I, I you know, I don't try to have my uh, my analysis poisoned by watching anybody else. So, uh, <laughs> I suppose, look, the, the way I would have seen it clearly was that the, the the conditions in the match at the weekend were were quite significant. There was, there was a very strong breeze going straight down the pitch. Kerry tried to condense their defensive zone. They, they, like Obviously, we spoke about it there. So the scoring zone for Donegal in the first half was probably out to about 55 metres and certainly almost the full width of the pitch. So Kerry, you know, do what all teams are doing, which is pretty much as soon as they lost possession, when they couldn't, they tried to press it at each of the line. But when they couldn't, when they didn't have numbers, they all just dropped a little bit back. So the ha- full forward line maybe ended up around the 45. Sometimes they drifted back into midfield purely because Donegal play the ball a lot through the hand. So the cornerback is going to be coming up. What's he supposed to do? Sure, he has to go with his man. It's not that they specifically want to go back there, but they just end up drifting back. And it actually ends up, it yeah. ended up working for them quite well because the, the scoring zone then was totally blocked up. And we know that they have great mobility in the middle of the field and in their half-forward line, and they have an appetite for work. In the second half, Perry very much tried to pin Donegal in and press them very, very high, and their, their forward tackled ferociously. And, you know, obviously then if the ball broke past them, they, they would maybe drift back a little, but not at, not if their man wasn't gone. So Clifford, yeah. or sorry, their full-forward line weren't necessarily drifting back field to, to be a 14-man behind the ball 
unless their man was gone. You know, they, they were holding up the field, but it's just against the wind, I think, in the first half, they had to do that. And in the second half, when they were trying, when they had the wind, they were trying to press up that little bit higher and try to force them, you know, try, everybody tried to condense Donegal because the kick-out couldn't trouble them over the top. So there was no danger of that. You know, Patton obviously has an incredible kick-out. Like, if he was kicking that ball with the wind in the first half, so he could he could have hit the hit their, hit the Donegal um, half-forward line and if there was any space or anything in behind that, it could have been quite dangerous. So I think Terry probably had a reasonable mix. They do tend to go more zonally in their forwards in terms of the opposition kicker. But very often we've seen that press where they have their half back, particularly in the second half, their half backs were pushing quite aggressively, you know, you know, so that there was very little for Donegal to hit to try and pin them in. So I think it's not necessarily that there's any sort of defensive game plan or it, it's nothing to do with that. It's all about the context of what's happening at the given time. Like, if there's a kick out and it's after a free, uh, you know, and the play has been slowed down, teams have the opportunity then to, to get themselves set up, you know, for, for a press yeah. that they would have worked on in training. If the, if the kick out comes very quickly, well, then the whole team has to try and readjust. And the whole purpose then for your forwards is, you know, everybody's going to try and work, but they try and slow the point of the attack. So, you know, your forwards will drift across to where the ball is. They'll drift out to the 45. And the only purpose of that is to try and slow the point of the attack to allow your defense, your team an opportunity to set themselves up defensively, to get everybody in the right position so that the opposition don't catch it easily on the counter-attack. I mean, that's... Teams yeah. Have to be set up like that. And also, one thing I would point out was that very whether it was just that they were very aggressive and their their, their work rate and their hunger for, for tackling was was to the key. But there was an awful lot of fouls from Kerry high up the pitch and in the middle sector of the field. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see if that's a trend, whether it's something that they're, they're that they've kind of worked on. We'll call them more of a tactical foul. I mean, look, they're, they're very clever with them. They're just, you know, overly aggressive in the tackle. But, I mean, again, it's the sole purpose of that is to slow up the point of the attack. Don't get caught on the counter-attack when, you're, when your team is stretched. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I think if you take a, a clip out of any game, you could paint a picture that might not necessarily uh, be there. Now, I'm not saying that if Kerry are playing against a gale force win, that maybe dropping their full back, full forward line back a bit and tightening up the pitch wouldn't be a tactic of theirs. But it ca- it's not it's not going to be a tactic of theirs going forward. I don't think keen to make to, to have any sense to it. No, well, basically, if you look at the players that they have, okay, like Sean O'Shea is playing centre forward. Sean O'Shea you know, could easily be playing midfield for them, you know, so he he's a big, he's a massive guy with a big engine and his his game is that he gets back and he, he does work very hard for the team in that middle sector of the field because he has an appetite for work and then he's trying to get back up the field. Now, we've been slightly critical of him in the past saying that, you know, Kerry need him to be higher up the field and to be troubling the scoreboard more often in, in sort of bigger games. But you can't criticise his hunger for work. Like, he's not going to just stand around and, and, and not work for the team if he's in that zone. Their wing forwards are very mobile. Michal Burns there buzzes around. Dara Moynihan from corner forward tends to drift out the field across to the half yeah. forward side yeah. of the middle sector. So, I mean, they, they really are trying to leave, you know, at the weekend it was Brosnan and Clifford inside. And Clifford, Brosnan will always be the one that'll stay in there because it, he's a real just poacher in there. And Clifford, because he has, I suppose, his physique and his just mobility and just his, his general class, he will try and come out the field and get on the ball if he hasn't handled it for a while. He's not going to stand in there because he's too important to the team to just be standing in there. So he will come out and link the play a little bit at times if that's what the team needs. But certainly, I mean, if Kerry were trying, Kerry were being absolutely honest and saying, OK, perfect setup, what are we going to be like? They'd have Brosnan and Clifford inside, they'd have Sean O'Shea on the opposition's 45 and they'd have Moynihan and Burns and 
I can't remember who the other wing forward was from the weekend, but they'd have all of those okay, guys. Yeah. Buckley, sorry. So they'd have all of those position. But those guys have savage legs, so they're going to be working massively in the middle sector of the field. And if if, if their man goes forward, they're going to, like, they're obviously going to be slightly defensive side of their man where possible. Because why would you? I mean, it's just it's just I suppose poor concentration if you're playing wing forward and you let the wing back get go you know get wrong side of you. So I mean, they, all yeah. these guys are tuned in. They're, they're, I wouldn't necessarily. I wouldn't. I totally, definitely wouldn't agree that they've gone to some sort of defensive approach. They're doing no different than any other top team, and that they're when they're when they don't have possession, they have they have a clear plan as to what they want to do, and they have and all of their players are working as part of that defensive unit. But yeah. they definitely have the balance right in my mind, and that more, you know they have their key men. They, 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 it's very clear that they want to keep them high up the field. Yeah, or there's lunacy if you didn't want to keep them eye up the field. But I suppose you could take a point in time in the All Ireland final last year, Conan, where Kerry have a lot of players back and paint the picture around that rather than look at the whole game and look, Jesus, these are two teams that really went out at each other. And unless the play was very slow, you were looking at one man on man defending. And some people would say that's crazy against Dublin, but Kerry did all right with it. Like, I mean, I think what's, what's keeping this Kerry defence narrative you know, going was the own merchant goal. And that wasn't a systematic failure. That was an individual defending kind of failure where nobody decided this is the point where danger is starting to, you know, unfold here. And I actually need to leave my man and maybe do something about own merchant. That's not a systemic thing because that came from the throw-in. Yeah, exactly. Like a, a system isn't going to help that. Like you, you're having a blanket defense, that that's not going to help that. You're still going to be able to attack them from a throw in. And and you're right. Like you can you can pull out of any game of any team. I'm sure you can look at Tyrone 2016 and see an attacking picture at one stage, maybe. <laughs> you know, and then you can make the argument that Tyrone were a really attacking team, which we all know that they weren't back then. They were going for a a defensive shutout. You know, like so games are played like things unfold in front of you but it's not necessarily a team system wouldn't matter if it was carries but like you're right it's it's just lazy when you see a few players working hard tracking back and then counter-attacking with everything they have like that's that's the big difference with Kerry as well even if Sean O'Shea is back or, or Dara Moynihan they're turning the ball over and then they're all going with speed trying to cut open a team then they're not you know they're not playing fearful football and turning around and going laterally yeah, I have to say, in Kieran Whelan, his defence, who was, he was uh, usually a good uh, analyst, I'm not saying he wasn't last night, and Tomás O'Shea, how they're really earning their money. These lads are watching three or four games that weekend each and uh, running through the divisions. I don't know how to do it. All I know is that they're not being paid half enough for the work that they're doing. That's all I'm saying. So listen, we'll come back and we'll do performance of the weekend. Happiness I don't really know Jim anymore. Me and him were like best friends when, when we played, you know. He's seen the light of Jesus and uh, I'm still like fighting the devil, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lads, so performance of the weekend. I'm going to start with Paul Conroy. 
Um, I thought he was the one bright spark for Galway yesterday. Showed a bit of urgency. Showed like he wanted to be there. Uh, something in my head, Keenan. I'm not sure if it's in your head. Does Paul Conroy always have a good game when Galway lose? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, well, they, they'd make the. We'd probably. Uh, try and make the point that, you know, a leader for his team should be showing up even when those around him aren't playing well. So maybe maybe it's a, a great reflection on his his character and his leadership ability that he has he's still able to perform and perform maybe even better when those around him aren't playing well. But look he had a for some reason that's just in my head. Whenever I see him playing really well, Galway are on the losing side anyways, I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no I look at in fairness it's he, he, I know he was captain of, the, of an All-Ireland win a minor team or something like that so I'm sure he has he has good leadership skills I'm going to put it down to that anyway and look he was no different yeah, okay. he, was, he was really good like and he kicked some great scores he's just a class act like he's it's an awful pity for Galway that he just had that bad uh, bad injury missed missed so much time for them because I'm sure they, they maybe would have racked up a couple of more Connacht titles if he if he had been available to play those years because he's look he's a brilliant player and you know, when you see that they could have Comer and Walsh and, and someone like him and Burke there, I mean, look, they have they have, they have really good talent up front. And, uh, you know, I, I think just after the injury that he had as well, it's great to see somebody like him um, who's been around for a number of years performing to such a high level, particularly against Dublin, you know, against all the odds. Yeah, he's a brilliantly accurate point kicker, Paul Conroy. What he's probably suffering from, uh, Conan, a little bit is in where's his best position? Where do you play him? Because Joyce is, he's a, he, traditionally he's a midfielder, like Keane mentioned on that minor team. Then he tried midfield when he came up Galway. Maybe not dominant enough in midfield. Centre half forward, he's been tried. He's been tried in the full forward line. It's hard to know how to get the best out of him because we know when. When Comer and Walsh come back, you've got Comer at eleven, Walsh at fourteen, and those two positions are out of out of out of reach. Is wing forward out of, out of reach? Like yeah. I, I, do, I do like to sort of liberate him a little bit from midfield, and, and like you know, you see John Small panicking, like this is John Small, like a, a Dublin legend, you know, and he's he's really worried about him because things are just so easy for Conroy. He actually reminded me a bit of. Uh, your description of David Moran when you said you'd said like everybody around David Moran is just like a pest and he's just like batting them away you know, get away from him like Conroy just seems totally unaffected by what's happening around him and and things just slow down and he kicks him from wherever everything seems smaller for him but yeah like I, I think it is in the half forward line now again maybe that's more difficult when you have to try and track after a, a wing back but if Galway can find a way of freeing him up just to do damage from from midfield to half forward, I think that's where he should be playing. Yeah, maybe maybe it will be like, I mean, I don't know. You don't want to be too negative about Galway, Keane, because the reality is they're missing Shane Walsh, Damien Comer, Michael Daly, three guaranteed forwards. They're missing Steed out of midfield, who's a guaranteed starter. Like, I mean, there's no county in the country can do without the likes of that. And add to that the form of Ian Burke, which is a little bit worrying for them. Yeah, well, I think Steed is actually a huge loss to them in the middle because you could see that. I mean, against Mayo, they were they were kind of they were blown out of it there until kind of Tom Flynn came on and he had to go off against Dublin, and you know that kind of weakened them. I think they were probably winning at the time, or you know, certainly he was having an impact in the game around the middle. Um, so yeah, look, they have they have the quality there. I mean, like if you look at those forwards, I mean, like Daly is a, is a like top class player. You know, Conroy, oh geez, Comer, but like I mean, there's serious, serious talent up front, and if they can get yeah. that middle sector right, I mean, like that's why I think Steed is really, really important for them, and and Flynn as well in that zone because if they can manage to get a firm fit, foothold around the middle of the field, and that allows them the ability to keep their keep their forwards 
in the attacking zone and not have them drag back too deep. I mean, that's when I think Galway will be really, really dangerous. If they, But again, look, I suppose individually all excellent, but when they happen, had a bit of game time together to build that bit of cohesion, you know, it's a very, very short championship this year, but um, it's certainly exciting. You know, I, I think they're definitely winning all Ireland in the next five years, will they? <laughs> what, they, what they could do is start Michael Daly at corner forward and bring him out as the third midfielder he plays midfielder for his club himself Steed and maybe Flynn three kind of posts a lot across the middle and then you know the obvious thing of you doing that is that you give the other team the sweeper because let's be honest the other team is going to play a sweeper in front of Walsh anyway so you're dictating you know who the sweeper is rather than them bringing back a forward and doing it you know you're dictating the terms you know of the game rather than say right well we play this now we don't know who they're going to bring back you'll say let's give them that corner back Conan <laughs> you're getting yourself excited again aren't you <laughs> Keen mentioned five-year plans I'm trying to put one in place here <laughs> yeah like no like you're right and when you have that many options you are going to dictate the the terms you're going to spook back lines and when you have that many options as well like that's the beauty if somebody puts a sweeper on Stan Walsh then Comer and Daly are freed up so like Galway I know they've you know they've had, they've lost the last two games. I don't think it's going to matter. They've been brilliant from what we saw from the start of the year. I wonder are they just like trying to hit championship? Like maybe they sacrificed these two games. I don't know, but um, I, well, and obviously they're missing those players as well. That's a big thing. I think yeah, I think you've every right to be excited, <laughs> Willie, because um, yeah, like that that does just like it, it just freaks teams out like with with those options. Yeah, that's the thing. But then again, with the year that's in it, we don't even know they'll have those options because we don't know who'll be fit for any any county, I suppose. Yeah. So we have to mention that. Connor McKenna, lads. Like, I, listen, I'm so glad that I've we've on the show we've said Connor McKenna is going is not going to be like other players back from Aussie rules. He's going to hit the ground running. It's just phenomenal, Keen, what this man's doing. Considering he's been in the Aussie rules the last six years, hasn't played an awful lot of played just a bit of club football to come into intercounty football now. Not not just talking about scoring, talking about literally lifting his whole team, being the main man, giving foot passes, giving clever foot passes, scoring goals, scoring points, giving passes for marks. Like even t- a little thing like being able to pick players out for marks. Like I mean, he hasn't been around. And then you have managers complaining we didn't work on a mark. I don't think you need to work too much on a mark if a player has half a brain and he wa- he's able to give a kick pass. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one. I think um, I think we didn't have enough time on the field is a, is a bit of an excuse for both players. players. That's rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, what, what you would say about McKenna, and look, I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here, but very often what we've seen over the years is that players who have you know excelled or gone to gone to play Aussie rules, um, they have been of a, of, a, of a certain ilk, we'll say, in terms of their maybe their athletic makeup, and when you see them back playing Gaelic football, then they tend to be just the type of players that are they're you know they're running machines, but they're not necessarily yeah. players with great vision or with great foot skills because they probably maybe they just never had to develop them because their just athleticism got them by at, at the level of playing Gaelic football here. But what what impressed me most about McKenna was his vision, and there's one pass in particular that stood out in the in the first half of the game where. He, he got the ball around the 45-metre line. He stepped inside. And it was one of them where, he, with the wind, he could have kicked a point himself. It was opened up for him. And one of the uh, Tyrone players, I think it was possibly Peter Hart, had just slightly peeled in behind the defensive line. And he just played this little kind of chip-disguised in-step pass. It was, it was picked up on the highlights um, last night on League Sunday. And it was, you know, it was just, that's the type of thing that, uh, ordinary players don't see it's the past ordinary players don't see it's only top class 
for players that see that. And that's what sets him apart from so many other players you know, across the country. And then you add in the obvious power, athleticism, you know, the fact that he's been a professional athlete for a number of years. I mean, he's just, he's an awesome presence for Tyrone and what an incredible boost for your team to get. You know, we see these guys coming back from playing professional sports and they they give a team a huge lift when they come into, you know, the the sort of inter-county scene more often than not. And this guy has been, you know, he's, he's a step above that again. Like, I mean, this fella is... He's he's way more of an addition to Tyrone than what say Ty Canelli would have been even when he came back to Kerry, and we all know how how good he was at that particular time. So I mean, I couldn't I couldn't speak highly enough of him even in the the two games we've seen. I thought he's done a huge amount of both games. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his, and you were not even mentioned the heart of a lion. Imagine a fella coming taking on Michael Murphy and actually trying to knock him. Like I mean, he stands back from nothing, and that's another element to his game. There is very few elements of his game that he doesn't actually have on the on the evidence. He's the heart of a lion. He's a great football brain. He can score both goals and points, and he has vision, Colin. Like I mean, what's going on here? And that the, the heart of a lion makes neutrals love him along with any you know all the other qualities he has. Yeah, and I love like just a celebration for the second goals, but you know, just like it, you can tell how much it means to him. Like it's not like he's playing football with Tyrone now just because he's not playing professionally anymore. It's like he wanted to come home and play football with Tyrone, and he's doing exactly what he wants to do, and it's going really well for him. Like he's just, he's every bit as good as he probably hoped he would be, and it is like it's the brain as well. Like you mentioned, like. You know, yes, the passes are one thing, but it's, it's his movement off the ball. He, he knows to go in and out of the full forward line and when to do that. And he, he's winning ball. Like, there was just one where he, he caught it just right at centre forward and just a quick hand to pop it to Matty Donnelly, who was coming charging through, and it went to Peter Hart. And I was like, wow, like there's yeah. a there's a good flashpoint there. It's just McKenna to Donnelly to Hart. And, yeah, it's, it's really exciting because, obviously, he's mad up for it as well. Yeah, Matt Upford. And I, it, like these kind of stories will make you cry, Conan, a fellow who gave it all up just to come back and play an amateur sport with his, count, with his county. I have a performance of the weekend. Go on, give it to him. <laughs> all right, well, to move on to Tony Brosnan here, Keen. Like, I mean, this this was an outstanding performance from him. He scored five from play and a mark. And, like, I mean, the one thing I would say about Tony Brosnan, whether he makes the team or not, because we obviously have James O'Donoghue and Paul Geaney. I think he's in probably in direct competition with James O'Donoghue rather than Paul Geaney. But he he um he's very economical with his runs. Like, he, he reminds you of the Gooch a little bit like that. There is no time you'll ever really see um Tony Brosnan in a race with a back you know, stuck up his behind and the ball's been punched away out of his hand. No, they're not the type of runs he makes. He makes runs to either side, usually looking for a little sneaky diagonal kick pass or or hand pass, which luckily for him, Sean O'Shea can see them, David Clifford can see them, most of the Kerry players can see those. And whenever he gets the ball then, because there's such clever runs to get away from his man, he's he's rarely not he's rarely marked tightly. Yeah, no, he's he's very elusive, and you're you've summed it up brilliantly there. I mean, he makes all, he makes very very clever runs. He makes dangerous runs, and he's playing on a team with with quality players who have the vision who have the vision to see the move, and then have the skill execution to put the ball where it needs to be put. And then when he gets it in his hand, very very dangerous, very hard to stop, very quick, very nimble on his feet. You know, unbelievable sidestep in in the first half of the game yesterday yeah. as well. I mean. 
very, very sharp and dynamic across the ground. And look, I mean, if he's not starting in that team, I mean, the other guy, whoever keeps whoever keeps him out of the team, must be in sensational form because that no nobody has really shown the level of form in the last number of years for Kerry. You're certainly James O'Donoghue hasn't shown. I suppose that he's never reached the, the the level of performance that he did in his first couple of seasons. And you know, Brosnan, to my mind, would have to be way ahead of him in the pecking order at the minute and I suppose it's whether or not Paul Ganey can can get in ahead of Dara Moynihan and with the way Kerry are playing they're probably only you know leaving room for the two guys and you know kind of predominantly it's Clifford and it's one other you know in terms of being your dangerous inside forward Moynihan is more of a he's more of a half forward playing in the full forward line so it's a I mean it's an embarrassment to riches really let's be honest about it. It really is. There's no doubt. Maybe actually, funnily enough, it is Tony Brosnan in competition with Paul Ganey to stay inside with Clifford and it's Dara Mina in competition maybe with James Donoghue to drift out in front or something like that, you know, or maybe do a bit of work. Anyway, you're right. He has loads of, he's loads of options. Gavin White's ripping it up. Um, you know, he's a wing half back and that's it. There's no doubt about that. Scored an absolutely brilliant goal. He deserves Conan mention. Paddy Small- must have loved his goal. Well, he did he because he, he took about 400 steps and, and hopped it twice while being fouled. So he's allowed to he wants, isn't he? It was actually when you ride a tackle, we know steps don't count. It was actually uh, Darrow Buell. It was a pretty weak attempt at stopping him, Conan, wasn't it? On the way through, yeah, it was Darrow. He was the second man. Was the Paddy McGrath? He put he put down in the ground first, but um, yeah, Keane's right. There, as long as you're being fouled, you can you can carry as long as you want. But you know, like the thing about Gaffer White is that same thing with Tony Brosnan is that. He was economical with his runs. Like I read a great piece with uh, Mark Lynch in the Irish News there recently, not to bring it back to Derry, but he was talking about when he was playing as a sweeper and he would only maybe do four or five runs. But if he scored from those four or five runs, everybody would be talking, Jesus, Mark Lynch was up and down all day, wasn't he? You know, <laughs> just about like being smart with those runs and being dangerous with those runs. And that's, I think that White is bringing that to his game. Yeah, timed him right, but when he goes, and I've I've been in dressing rooms where we've talked about this, when he goes, give it to him. He might not go that often, maybe one or two times a half, but he has to get it when he does go because he's a weapon. And I suppose that's the definitely the the the, the message with Gavin White. When you see him going, make sure you're you're popping it off to him and don't let him don't see him making a huge run and turn your arse to him and kick it somewhere else. You know what I mean? Like what's the what's the point in that? Paddy Small deserves a mention, two great points against the wind and two marks as well. He's very good at getting marks because he's very good at getting out in front. Now do you have to do very much work on that, Keen, or do you pick forwards that can get out in front and fellas that can kick past kick the ball kick the ball to them? Well we haven't worked yeah we actually haven't worked all that much on that. Well I was I was thinking up of a really good tactic there, Woolly. It's where you get a guy who's <laughs> it's where you get a guy who's got good vision and a good good ability to kick the ball and he kicks it to lads who can win the ball out in front inside the 45. <laughs> yeah and then we say geez I tell you one thing we're seeing an awful lot more marks these days they must be doing a phenomenal amount of work on it on that inside in the training ground. <laughs> yeah this is, this is a clear new tactic from Dublin now where <laughs> to win the ball all the time it's, it's interesting yeah very very interesting Tommy Conroy deserves a, a mention 1-3 very direct he's definitely a find for Mayo there's no doubt about that talk to us about Jordan Morris here Keen, uh, before we finish up because Conor McManus got 1-8 one, 1-5 one from play but sure that's hardly big breaking news Jordan Morris came on and scored 7 points he came on after 23 minutes 3 from play it was the last 3 points of his that drew the game yeah, and he scored. He scored a pretty amazing point, really, to level the game right at the end under under pressure from two Monaghan defenders. And like, in fairness, it was pretty good for me to to get three points in the last three minutes of injury time to level the game. But 
Jordan, back to Jordan Morris. He made his debut, I'm pretty sure, last week against Dublin in the league. So and played maybe the last maybe 20 minutes of that game, or maybe it was the second half. So I mean, he's a, he's very much a, a new guy into the into the setup for me. But he's look, he's he's been a pretty heavy score getter for for his club Nobber. They won the intermediate championship last year, and this year up in senior, he was he was putting up some big tallies in games. So look, he's he's always been kind of well well known and well flagged as a as a high scoring forward so I mean it was just whether or not he was going to you know get the opportunity at, at inter-county level and, and develop his game enough and look he's made a he's made a really good start there he's very lively across the ground good movement good pace and very very good off his left foot so I mean look he's he's started his inter-county career really really well for me yeah keep your eye out for Jordan in the championship right performance the weekend goes to Connor McKenna I don't think there's any doubt about that phenomenal performance by him it's great to have him back um, and that's it for today lads thanks very much and um, we'll be back on Thursday we'll preview the championship we're back in the mix again championship and uh, we'll talk to you on Thursday good luck I'm not finished yet it took me a long time to get here both players have, have spoken with each other and, uh, and they regret what happened. They've had a frank discussion with each other and they're, they're both of them are keen to, to now focus on getting back to their county jerseys. But these fellas will get such a shell shock next Saturday evening that we'll put them back in their f***ing houses for f***ing years.